your Money and Your Life podcasts by Mojas Druid to help you navigate life's legal and financial challenges. Today on the Your Money and Your Life podcast, we're appropriately talking directly about money, something we don't do enough of, and particularly planning our finances. Now, thankfully, we've got somebody who knows quite a bit about these things. Uh, Stuart Doughty, Director of Mojas Druid Financial Planning. Hello, Stuart. Welcome to the podcast. Morning, David. I think it's always a good idea to get to know our guests before we launch into the specifics and dive into the detail. And, and I've had a look at your LinkedIn profile, doing a bit of stalking, because, you know, that's that's my job. Healthy. Nothing grim, <laughs> nothing grim. Uh, but obviously, you've had you've had quite the career. You started off, um, did you start off in insurance with with um, what was a Norwich Union or, or Aviva, as we now know it? Yeah, yeah, yes. Up to, up to a point. I mean, I, I started in Barclays. Um, my my father was in Barclays Bank, and and interestingly, my my grandfather was in what was Martin's that became Barclays. So, I was a sort of third generation banker, um, and didn't know what I wanted to do at eighteen. So, joined joined the bank as, as the family thing to do. Uh, went into the city from from the wilds of of Norfolk, and then having returned to the, to, to to family home in Nor- in Norfolk. Um, then decided to join Norwich Union, so that, that's how that, that that phase started. And by gosh, by ninety two, nineteen ninety two, uh, I joined a direct sales force, which was all the big insurers in those days. Your Prudentials, etc., all had yeah. huge sales forces, and you could only um, advise on the products of that particular company. Um, and I got disenchanted with that after four years in a sales force of five hundred. I was one of the longest serving, to give you an idea of the term <laughs> staff in those days. Okay. It was shocking. Yeah, and, and so I took a risk, which I'm not uh, averse to doing, where I took a, a maternity position where uh, at Eversheds in their financial planning team where the lady had gone on maternity leave, and I was just given a three-month opportunity to prove myself um, and, and stayed there for five years. So, And that's where I first got into independent financial planning and uh, where I still am today. And your your first connection with the legal sector as well, was that, in terms of working closely within? and Yes, it was, it was David. And actually, because of that, I, I probably get more work from lawyers in terms of their own work, but also from legal connections, having worked inside a law firm, obviously at the time Eversheds was, they're strapped by the largest law firm in the world. Um, so, so it was a huge learning curve. And because we were such a small team, uh, in such a large firm, most of most of our time was spent looking after staff matters. Um, yeah. But it, but it was the, about being independent, about being far more professional, transparent, and, and starting to get used to a fee structure. Whereas in the past, it was all about commission. Yeah. So for me, in '96, that was revolutionary and something that I believed in. And we 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 I've made sure that wherever I've worked since and helped to set up, um, we followed the same principles. Yeah, because very much what something else I picked up on your profile is it's about relationships. You know, your, your focus Huge. is very relationships because from that, you know, you you don't have that relationship, you don't have that trust, then it's unlikely you're going to either get the client in the first place or or hold on to them once the matter's been completed or have them say nice things about you, which, uh, which again, by way of word of mouth and referral is always a, a, a huge uh, draw for, for professional services marketing. Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 you learn a lot about yourself, don't you, in terms of as you advance um, through, through your career. And for me, people 
are what I enjoy in terms of meeting people and helping people, both in a corporate capacity and also in, in my spare time. So, yeah, relationship is key to seek to understand, really, you know, how can we help? And if it's not us, I, I re realise we have a duty to, to signpost people in, in the right direction. That can be lawyers, that can be accountants, just to make sure that the client gets the right outcome. Now, outside of the the day job, you've also got a very interesting. Like, I mean, if I think of of Bath, where you're based, um, I I think of rugby. I also think of netball because I'm actually a, a big fan of the sport, um, as you you and I have discussed before, uh, and also uh, the Bath Half Marathon. If we're thinking about sport, which I've attempted <laughs> probably on too many occasions, but I would thoroughly recommend because it's a beautiful, uh, beautifully set half marathon. Uh, it's brilliant. But back to the netball, um, you've got a, a couple of roles in that field that that are that are really quite interesting, haven't you? You're involved with with Bath itself. I am indeed at Team Bath, which is part of the University of Bath, um, which I'm proud to say from a university perspective is, is Times University of the Year again uh, this year. Um, and in fairness, probably not as well known for its sport as a Loughborough, but, it, but either way is, is a centre of excellence for the English Institute of Sport uh, for various Olympic disciplines, be it pentathlon, uh, be it skeleton, be it swimming, etc. But also uh, the, the most successful uh, netball Super League franchise, having won they, five, they are, five, they are. five premierships. Yeah. Yeah, quite incredible, and and seed a lot of their players through to the uh, to the England setup as well in GB. Yeah, yeah, as as both players, coaches, and pundits. So you know, recently with with Swan, at the moment the quad series going on in South Africa, um, you've got Ebony Usoya uh, Brown, which a number of years ago she was she was she was at Moges as well as a trainee was was on on Sky. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, amazing athlete, uh, you know, and it's quite interesting. Again, you, you see her in her natural environment, which is the netball court, yeah. and she's an absolute titan. Yeah. Uh, when you see her in the in the in a legal context, and she's a very capable lawyer, but not the same confidence as a, as a junior lawyer, which therefore you know we're, we're there we were there at Mojas to to support her. But yeah, ama amazing athlete, and certainly. Um, Times and Greenway, who's the main person they use on on Sky, also hails from 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 Bath. Jess Thirlby, who's the coach at England, hails from Bath. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I I, I chair the the, um, the 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 franchise board there. Which it, the reason I wanted to do so is because it's at its most challenging time. Netball is closely looking in the UK about becoming professional. How it competes on a more level playing field with Australia and New Zealand. You can't do that with a flick of a switch. So yeah. it's how we grow the grassroots game, how we grow the community game. And having taken a similar role with, with Bath Rugby's charity a number of years ago on, on, on how we help our communities through the medium of sport, it felt natural to do something similar in a sport that my mother as a sports teacher was incredibly passionate about. So for me, it's about putting something back, really. Fantastic. Uh, before we leave your career and your extracurricular activity, I've, I've got to go back a little bit into that LinkedIn stalking exercise. And um, a job title, which is probably the most interesting job, one of the most interesting job titles I've seen, you were a darling harbour ranger. Now, <laughs> now I've got to ask myself, when I first saw that written down, I thought I had this amazing image of a maritime security professional with a uniform fashioned by Jean-Paul Gaultier himself. I just thought... You know, just, just what, what did you what were you what were you actually I've got I've got to be confession I did I did 
search it. I looked on YouTube and I found this guy telling these these kids off for doing parkour or fourteen and fifteen, and they they've been recording this park ranger who's being a bit zealous. Um, but but what was that? How did you get into that? Um, it's a great time, 30, 30 years ago now. Um, I, I wanted to, um, obviously, rugby union wasn't professional in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, and I wouldn't have been capable enough to play professional anyway, but there was a lot of opportunities still in sport for if you were a bit better than average, and I wanted to prove myself beyond these shores, so I, I, I wrote out in those days, before email, um, to various clubs in Australia, and I got picked up by Dremoyne, a club in Sydney, and they offered okay. me, and they offered me a job, um, which when I arrived didn't exist. But um, that's the risk I took. So I left a career at um, at Norwich Union um, and decided to go out for a season in Sydney. Um, and one of the senior guys there in Dremoyne um, was working for TNT, uh, and they had the security contract at Darling Harbour. Uh, so. Okay. So myself, um, three young lads from uh, Leicester Tigers um, were, were given the opportunity of, of part-time work there in between playing for playing rugby. Um, but it was huge tourist attraction. Obviously, Darling Harbour was at the time. Yeah. Um, lots of fun, bit of pin money, and and got to really see Australia and Australians. Yeah, and this is, this is Sydney, isn't it? Sydney, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, how fantastic yeah. is that? Brilliant. I'm glad yeah. you cleared that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's slightly unusual, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. Absolutely loved it. Um, now, you <clears throat> wrote, uh, well, there's an article that you've written, which is on the Mojas Druid website, which is a reference is a number of, I want to start on this point because it really was quite, you know, alarming to see the statistics that were brought out by the Money and Pension Service about our habits and our approach to finances. Um, in a recent survey, the back end of last year, they talked about the fact that something like two thirds of the population just don't feel anywhere close to being in control of their finances. Um, so 63%. Uh, and, and one in six, uh, 17% of the population, the adult population, haven't got any savings at all. Which probably explains why there's another statistic as well, 81% of us just are, if we, we've got a preference, we just don't want to talk about our money at all. We don't talk about finances. Why is that? You know, where does that fear come from? Where is that? And, and I must admit, you know, that we, we we all have our Achilles heels, but I think there's a common one in most families or in, 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 in business context, people don't tend to want to talk about money. Um, wow, Dave, it's a, it's a fascinating subject. Um, and I think one that needs a tackle, tackle from different directions, really. I look at um, Rishi Sunak's an announcement recently about maths in terms of uh, yeah. statistics. And I go, well, that's interesting, but what happens to the creative parts? And I would rather see a qualification about preparing our kids for, for life and how they manage finances and what it means, et cetera. Um, so it, it's and because of things like that, dare I say, the fear builds up and it's like you feel like subjects such as pensions should have that skull and crossbones because that, that you see on oil town tankers because there's a real fear. Yeah. Well, don't talk to me about pensions. They're a horrible thing. And there's some really intelligent people who just run away from them huh. and it's and are actually in denial and therefore don't know what they've got. And so, well, one day I'll get round to it. And like anything we do like that, it just becomes an even bigger issue. So what we love to do is to is to is to through time because from a relationship trust take 
takes time to build up is is understand where clients are potential clients are so we audit where where they are and a lot of the time they don't know what's there they'll, they'll explain what they think they've got we'll then audit what they've got and quite often it's a little bit different but at least yeah. we're basing our information on facts rather than think this contract does this for me um I, it's it's i've been advising for 30 odd years now and, and i think the fear seems to be greater now than it was before even though there's greater access yeah through individuals and through the internet to 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 advise there i say because of that it's a bit like when you google a health issue isn't it? you always find the negatives first and dare i say it's preloaded on the finance stuff all the nasty stuff is there um, whereas actually there's some there's some fabulous um, opportunities to just do the right thing. And a, and a classic example you've heard me say in the past is things like state pension forecasts for people approaching and just go on there. It's free, providing you've got a mobile phone, which on the government gateway can text you a code and you put it in and you know your national insurance number, you're off and running. And just for people to feel in control of what they have rather than having a fear is part of what we do. And that's part of looking forward into their into their future and, and knowing that there is going to be some level of support for them there. Um, but looking looking at the situation we're in at the time of recording the podcast, we we're in the midst of a, a cost of living crisis, and it's brought about um, some rather awkward videos and um, mansplaining and explaining from certain individuals about what to do to try and save money from politicians and others. But there's also been some very useful advice. And it's a bit like the financial issues you'd be talking about there of almost too much information. But within the article, you, you, there, there is a, a reference to an external source which provides quite a lot of, of useful tips. And what we're worth just looking at some of those things, just looking at the very basics of, of what you can do to at least start to put yourself on a on a on a better footing, which might give you some of that space to be able to save for your future. It's it's a subject that's certainly not surprising because of the cost of living crisis that we've, we've looked at very closely. Because I think people are expecting almost like a golden bullet of, yeah, if you just do this, buy this, everything will go away. And actually, it's not. It's it's always been the same as it ever was, which is understand the income that you've got or incomes and the expenditure and what you've got on the, the the horizon in terms of commitments, be it for the children, be it for grandchildren, be it paying off a mortgage cut, just understand exactly where you are at this point in time. And if you don't know, take advice. And that's what we're here for. And other independent advisors are here for as well. So I think for, for me, it's always don't be afraid to understand exactly where you are then our job is to understand in detail. No, nobody I meet says, oh, I've got, a, I've got a lovely pension. I want to put more into it. That's not where we start. I'd like to retire at this particular age and I want to retire on this amount of income. So it's to give a little bit of detail, understand what's important for people. Yeah. Uh, and once we've got that, then it's pairing it back to where are we today in a very basic income and expenditure? And how do we then make those accounts and if it's for somebody who's incredibly risk averse and is comfortable in cash let's not be lazy and it's a very lazy market at the moment because we've got fear 
of staying with the Lloyds and the Barclays and the NatWests, et cetera, and the HSBCs, who are great for high street banking, but pretty miserable when it comes to competitive savings accounts. So our job is to make sure we still stay in the same asset classes of cash, if that's what a client is comfortable, but we sweat it, make it work as hard as possible. Uh, because interest rates, deposit rates now are between, say, three to four and a half percent gross as we time we record this podcast. And they were 0.1 percent 13 months ago. Yes, we've got inflation of 10. I can't do anything about that. But I don't want clients' monies languishing in current accounts being paid 0.1 or zero when they can get an extra three to three and a half percent. So you're talking about breaking out of the inertia, which is yes. banks live on. <laughs> They absolutely trade on it. You, you know yourself in terms of, you know, from a, from both a mortgage and a savings bank, they won't give you the information that they trade on inertia. That's how that's how they make margin. You, you always see it in the last Bank of England base rate rise in, in December was a classic, is that, you know, debt rates went up immediately. Savings rates didn't go up until the new year, so it's extra margin. So we have a responsibility to say, look, let's take control as much as we can do and do something about it. We don't want ideally be hopping around the market and having a different depositor every three, six months because all the paperwork that goes with it for clients is, again, is disengaging. But actually, these days, you can get cash platforms. Again, the online world we live in where you've got visibility and you can see what's available. You're staying within the consumer protection limits of £85,000 per deposit institution. You're just making the money work hard. Uh, and that's that's our job is just to it's not it's not being super clever. It's not being aggressive. It's just being smart. Yeah. And it's, that, that, it's a, an art, I think, in being able to talk to people in a way that doesn't feel like they're being patronized, yeah. which I think can can trigger people who've probably, as you say, you with some very intelligent individuals, very good jobs, but not necessarily got the smarts when it comes to their personal finances. And, and also a situation we could even have somebody who's running a business and very successfully running a business and budgets for that business and understands that and yes. is incontrollable of that. But then when it comes to the home domestic situation, it's almost as if it's a different language. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've got you know, three calls later today. One, um, with a group activation director on the marketing side for a well-known bank, and this um, one for with with a with a senior banking lawyer in in the, in the, in the city, and one with a a, a a dentist who owns his own practice in, in in Surrey. So real, they're all intelligent people, all successful in their own fields, but they are time poor. And I always say they could do what I do, but firstly, they haven't got the time. Yeah. And they also don't know how they. They don't know how to navigate this particular route with where are you now? Where do you want to be? And how do we get there? That's why we've talked about this, this sat nav for finance. It's just yeah. understanding the route that you need to take and understand exactly like a sat nav that there might be disturbances along the way. There might be traffic works. There might be changes in legislation. Our job is to say, okay, well, we'll turn left rather than go straight on. But if that, if, if the goal is still, the destination is still the same, then, Let's make sure staying within the rules, being being mindful of what tax allowances and risk are available, that we can still get to that particular point. I want, I want to look at some specific scenarios um, and, and in, a, in a moment, but um, just thinking back to the sort of the, the cash position for those that are listening to this, who are thinking about are there some tips? David mentioned something about tips. Um, there are there are other measures, obviously. Well, we can put them in the show notes by detail. 
um, some of the steps which actually replicate what's on the article. You can look at the article on the the Motors Group website. Um, but there was talk, I think some of the headline things were things like consolidating credit cards and loans. So that if you if you're looking at things where you've got a you've got a number of debt um, products out there that that are accruing interest, it might be smart to consider putting that into to one pot. Yeah, certainly. I think it's always it's really important to 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 you know whilst we're independent financial planners, de- deliberately we don't have a license to advise on, on mortgages. Therefore, we have a a link with an independent mortgage broker. But we're certainly cognizant of all matters debt. Yeah. Um, both on a personal level, corporate level, and, and, and for clients. But certainly it's always understanding, be it a car loan, um, be it mortgage, et cetera, understand the details again. So that's what we ask for. We, we need to understand, certainly at the moment, the mortgage rate situation, uh, the existence of any penalties, any fees, what the rates are, et cetera, because it's a fiercely competitive market. And I was helping a client before Christmas uh, where... Um, his uh, his PCP finance with Audi uh, was 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 previously what was it four point eight percent I think it was uh, he'd had an accident and therefore for no fault of his own um, had to refinance new car loan twelve months later um, that had reached almost fourteen percent wow so <laughs> oh, so goodness. I know so you can talk about Bank of England being three and a half, three three and a half which is where we are yeah. but understanding what that means in terms of finance the risk in this case Audi finance are taking which they're passing on to the consumer yeah. let's understand that let's understand even with 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 older children who might have university debt some of the older kids the interest rates on the older debt are a lot lower than the new debt. So our job is to say, hang on, I know you want to be equal with our children, as we all do as parents, but actually understand the rates that apply because since the the university debt was was outsourced to third parties, the rates on it, in my opinion, are criminal, Mm. absolutely criminal. So if you can help the younger children, dare I say, with theirs, it's more useful than the 2 or 3% uh, loans uh, that, that we saw five or ten years ago. So it, again, it's get the facts. Our job is to audit the facts. It's understand where we are first. As boring as that is, and actually, people, you know, clients get quite energised. But oh, I didn't know it did that. Oh, I didn't know we could do this. And it makes it they almost come towards you in terms of how yeah. engaged in that process, and it becomes a more enjoyable conversation about how we get to that destination. It's not like you're suggesting you're Martin Lewis. You know, I think there is only one Martin Lewis, you know, well, fabulous and some it's, amazing things. But I, 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 on occasion with working out one or two things for my family, I've called myself a Poundland Martin Lewis. Um, but, but with your role and in the profession that you have and the connections that you've got, it's that type of role that you can perform for them without, you know, stepping stepping away from those areas where there's a compliance and, and maybe some conflicts, but you can offer some very sensible guidelines as to, as to which routes to take for people and save them an awful lot of time because, you know, we've all faced a situation. And also um, situations that I can tell personally, you mentioned about PCP, um, the little nuggets like when you're so far into a contract, there's a point where you're actually enabled to go in and renegotiate. Yes. And that could be, and, and certainly for my case, it was in relation to the pandemic and the fact that mileage on the car had been way below what it was supposed to be. And suddenly I, had to, I reduced my, my monthly outgoings by 25% for the, for, the, for the contract, for the lease contract. Now, not a lot of people, as, as, as 
as our uh, Michael Kane might say, not a lot of people know that, but they 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 don't. And if they don't, they're spending money on things where actually they could be, you know, putting that money elsewhere for the longer term future. Uh, yeah, that they can, and, and there's some there's some really basic stuff out there, and because of of the the trust economics that we got very briefly for forty odd days, the dislocation in the gilt market um, that she and and Cami Quasi created um, provided an opportunity where we had annuity rates, and I and I I'm old enough to have done annuities years and years ago, rather than just for impaired life or conventional annuities. You know, we had annuity rates um, for sort of five, five and a half percent with increasing by RPI for life, which is not something we'd seen until they created the carnage. So therefore, out of poor political decision making came a dislocation, which sent the markets into a bit of a tailspin. But actually, uh, one of my conversations this afternoon where the two year gilt at the moment, actually, you buy it about 93.5 and with gilt, as long as you hold them, then that you get back to 100. So you know by January 25, this thing's worth 100. Yeah. And with, with guilt, you don't pay capital gains tax. So with a higher rate taxpayer, they go, so you're telling me I buy in 93 and a half, and I've just got to hold it for two years, and I get 100 back, and I don't pay any tax. Yeah. What's the catch? Well, the only catch is if, if the UK PLC goes bust. So that's your view about the economy. Oh, where do I sign time? Now, life is not quite that simple. But the point, our job is to know that, through this dislocation in certain markets, which is which spook is there was there are positives that come out of it relevant to certain clients. That's where we come in about what does it mean for me? Why should I do this? What are the benefits? What are the costs? Um, one one an example, quirky example I'll, I'll share with you, which is, and I would generally write this now because of what's happened is always look down your sofa. Um, I had a client who who found a pension down his sofa uh, really? about, about 18 months ago. And we had a giggle about it. And it was the best part of 100,000. It was correspondence quite clearly, not a fully grown mature pension, but it was, it was. and we wrote off and we basically got a 100 grand pension, which he'd forgotten about. Wow. He was, and I swear not, but just before Christmas, he was moving another another sofa from, uh, from, a, from a property. And I thought, I'll tell you what, because of what happened, I'll have a look down. Guess what? Found another pension. So, so far... He's found the best part of £140,000 of pension value, which we've been able to, and one of them is about to vest, which means taking his benefits. So might, might sound a little, so if you've been living in the same place for a period of time with the same sofa, please look down your sofa, uh, because if you can unearth a pension or a savings account or two, it's worth looking at. That's an interesting filing cabinet. I'm often now going to search myself. <laughs> I might find 10p in a polo, but, you know, I'll go and have a look. <laughs> a bit of dust. It, it was just staggering. I thought not once, That's but incredible. twice, and not even the same sofa. Yes, it was the same client, but different sofas. So, wow. uh, yeah, incredible. But, yeah, just, and it's that, and he was quite obviously excited by it, but he'd also been turned off by finance, and we now act for the family. We act for for him and his wife we act for the children and we act for for for, for father-in-law as well because they can see what we do about this relationship piece well you know you've i've seen what you could please can you help so and so well yes if they're happy to work with us because trust as we all know with yourself as well it's not one overnight we'd love it if it was but it just takes time and and we've got to work out whether we can get on both sides whether we can get on with each other but but i i believe we can i think there's a complicated market and for financial planning, it's a fantastic market for us to help people navigate through it. So, the, so when we're looking at longer term planning, 
Um, obviously, there are, there are a variety of individuals that will be listening to this across the demographic spectrum. Can we look at some some scenarios maybe of types of individual and where they are in life? I mean, I'm thinking maybe you know, start off with like young professionals. Um, I had an advantage. Um, I was in my teens, late teens, and across the country from where I was in Gloucester to go to Peterborough to work for Thomas Cook. They put me immediately into a pension. And I am very grateful for that. It was 10 years, but a bit like your friend with his, with his hand down the sofa, that's that's very nice. Thank you very much. Um, a lot of young professionals now, obviously, the law has changed. And when people go into the place of work, it's an opt-out rather than a than an, an opt-in situation. Um, would you would you have advice for young people in who are thinking, well, costs are, are tight at the moment. I'm not really sure about pensions. Or I'm not really sure about my, my long-term future. You know, I'm going to live forever type of mentality that you can get with younger generation. What, what, yeah, I, what would your view be? I think I think we, we, we've all been there uh, in terms of thinking you can live forever in your early early twenties. Um, I, I think it always comes back. It always comes back to budgeting in terms of so what are what are my commitments in terms of my earnings and my student loan and my rent and my mortgage if I'm fortunate to have a property etc. But yes, yeah, certainly understand the benefits that are available from your employer. So that can be pension, um, that can be life cover. And as, and as an individual, you might say, well, it's just not important to me. No, I accept that because it's about the fact that it only pays out on death and you're not here. But actually make sure it goes to the person you want it to. Yeah. Make sure that you speak to your HR department and get an expression of wish form so you can nominate your sister or a charity, whatever it's going to be. Understand in the event of sickness, what happens? Who's going to look after you? Do you need to have cash in your own bank account to bail yourself out? Or is there, um, in your example, uh, in a, a group policy by Thomas Cook that will support you? Because there probably is with these people. So first you understand, again, with large companies through the internet on what the benefit system, what am I entitled to? When am I entitled to it? And therefore, what do I have to do myself? Because if you don't have to do much yourself, that's fantastic. That allows you to save, if you can, into, in, into starting with maybe a cash ISA, just so one isn't paying tax. Uh, but also, why am I saving? You know, what, what am I saving for? Yes, my textbook tells me it's a good thing to do. But my question is, yeah, but why? You know, because again, as a young somebody, you want to live a little bit. At the same time, as yes, but you don't want to always live as if there's no tomorrow. You want to be saving with a few goals in mind and a degree of flexibility. The downside of pensions, we all know, it's it's one that's locked in um, to, to, to 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 a long term savings plan. And the, the earliest you can take benefits from a private pension limit is fifty five, and that moves out to fifty seven in a few years' time. And obviously, we'll move ever northwards as thankfully people are living longer. Um, so I would always encourage people to take part in a pension, the auto enrollment scheme, which, which has come in. So now you are forced into a pension, yeah. but and you can opt out. So, but the natural thing is the government wants to see everybody in. So you have to do something to literally prize yourself out, which is very yeah. different way from where we were years ago. Um, but it is the ultimate long-term savings plan. But again, we've helped somebody recently through very sad circumstances where, he is terminally ill. He has less than 12 months to live. And then with, with, with pensions, there, there is, a, again, to be verified quite rightly by a GP and a medical expert, not a financial planner. That is the situation. There's the, 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 
the, the possibility of unlocking pensions earlier before a particular date and more cash than income. So again, right. that's our job to do those things at, in, in quite a distressing circumstances to bring a degree of calm. One of the areas that um, it seems to have accelerated, I think, during the, the pandemic, but I think there was a general trend. I, I wrote a piece, um, a, a little book on, on generational diversity, and one of the areas I looked at was the length of tenure. So from baby boomers, Generation X, millennials through to Gen Z. Um, and as you go through the generations, the average tenure is shortening. And we're now looking at an average tenure, I think, I think generally somewhere not far north of three years, which for, for our generation are thinking about, you know, the places I, I ended up working at Thomas Cook 10 years. I've worked in other jobs for, for many years. But that's not the reality now. So in a situation where um, the future of one of these young professionals is going to be a series of short-term stays at, at jobs, because that's that's life now, is it advisable to, to buy into that pension that they are with the company because of the benefits are incurred, or is it better to have a separate pension? Uh, almost certainly, because the employer is compelled to put money in for you, yeah. uh, providing you put in a smaller amount of money, then it's absolutely the right thing to do. Right. In my opinion, subject, everything comes back to affordability, David, to be perfectly honest. So the reason why people opt out of pensions is because they don't have the extra cash to do so. But wherever possible, because it's the early money, going back to your Thomas Cook days, is the compound effect of that early money that's now being worth, because people go, oh, I, didn't, I didn't know it'd be worth that much 20 or 30 years later, because I was only earning X and I was only putting in Y. I know, but it's been there for 20 or 30 years. And the sort of old scheme it was gives you these sorts of benefits. So no, I would always encourage people to take part if they can afford to do so. Understand with pensions particularly, you can't get access to these contributions. They are there for the ultimate long-term savings plan. Ultimate long-term savings plan. Good advice. And and in terms of stepping forward a, a stage now into families and looking at um, you know, young family with kids at home, dependents, uh, again, you know, lots of things you can spend your money on, you know, expecting family holidays and perhaps the car needs to be upgraded to accommodate the new child or, you know, all of those, all of those, a bigger house even. Um, what What's the view in terms of trying to, to put some stability into the long-term financial planning? Um, I think it's really straightforward, actually. Um, I see it far too often where people want to run before they can walk financially and walking for me is always protection so why on earth would you save when you've not protected your family unit what do i mean by that in the event if you have a mortgage in the event of sickness or or, or death what happens to that debt ideally you want it repaid so making sure that the glove of the life protection fits the hand of the mortgage so it's, it's not more than it needs to be not that just what's the duration what's the amount of cover repayment interest I and mean, make sure it's doing the right thing and next you know again coming back to what benefits do i get from my employer if they're providing a degree of life cover how much is it yeah you know i'm looking at all those things so for me you know if somebody's got a life cover of circa a million pounds i'm just picking for a round figure then 
that could produce between 35 to 50,000 pounds of income a year. Is that sufficient to maintain the standard of living for that particular family? Don't know. And those are the conversations, but I'm always a fan of protecting what people have first in the event of death, in the event of sickness. And also that's where working with, with lawyers is really, really important, working inside a law firm, because then you're saying part of protection is making sure that your will's up to date. I notice you've had children, but they're not nominated. Oh, we haven't. Oh, don't we'll get. No, no. Protection is we do the life policies, make sure, as I said before, the glove fits the hand, but also making sure that your wills are up to date and your family is truly protected. Who's going to look after little Johnny and little Johnny S in terms of from a guardian perspective if you're not around? Oh, well, I, I, had a, I had a will with my sister at Christmas. Now, that's fantastic. But after too many Baileys, she might have she might have forgotten about that. Let's get it written down formally. That's why you have a will. So for me, it's protecting what people have, protecting the family unit and for business owners, protecting potentially the business as well. If they're key people in the business, if they weren't around and their skill set's gone, what happens to the business? So yeah. I know people say, oh, insurance, I hate it. It's a dead cost. Yeah, but we insure our homes and we insure our cars, but we don't insure ourselves. That's rubbish, and it's a pretty weak excuse. Um, so for me, it's through affordability. Once we've had a conversation about income and expenditure again, what have we got to put towards, in this case, what was perceived as a savings plan? But before yeah. we get to savings, can we make sure that you protect your family unit? Yeah. Or what do you mean? And that's a standard conversation with, with young families. That's excellent advice. I can, and the, the logic is is clear to see. Looking a little bit further ahead, uh, we've now got a middle-aged couple. Um, family have now flown the nests, have all been to university, started their careers, some started their families. They're now looking at the house that they're rattling around in and thinking that nice house, nice big house, but I'd really like probably a smaller house with a bigger garden because I'm going to spend more time growing my own vegetables and and flowers and whatever and, and enjoy more of my life in a different way. Uh, but that means they're going to release some equity in the larger house they had and maybe they've got something to invest in and they've got their eye on their pension as well is is there something that um that a case study example of what what best advice might be for somebody that might end up with a bit of a windfall following downgrading or down downscaling sorry okay. freudian slip with downgrading i love my old house <laughs> I, I i think i've seen i've seen this with with, with, with my parents i think there's we're not careful we stay in our family home for too long and then, you know, yeah. you, you won't move because it's all you know. Uh, and because of that, my wife and I pro I probably moved too early. We've sort of down <laughs> downgraded already because we want to help the kids. So, um, and I'll get my father, who again, as I mentioned earlier, 35, 40 years in Barclays Bank, Planet's Harry Pension Scheme, part of what they call the golden escalator generation in terms of you stuck on the escalator at the bottom shot up on property prices and shot up on pension yeah. and, it, and it's for that generation to understand how they do help their children and grandchildren right but not diluting their own quality of life so i think that's a starting position on how we through legislation as well how we trickle down assets because the source of numbers which i brought to, to the podcast a few weeks ago in terms of the change 30 years ago between the average salary now and the average average property price, which was roughly a factor of three. I think yeah. now it's a factor of seven. So therefore, and lenders haven't changed their policy. So right. if you want to get onto the onto the property ladder, it's never been further away, which means the bank of mum and dad, you talk about 
kids have flown the nest. Well, they tend to fly the nest and come back again. Um, so, you know, you need to keep the family home because they are going back into their bedroom because they can't afford to do these things. And it's not that they're not ambitious. It's just that the cost of living is so high. So I think we're all having to have wider vision than, than, than people probably did 20 or 30 years ago about how we do help them, um, how we how we can gift them some money where appropriate. But also before we do any of that, we have to understand what our needs are. When do we think we will retire? What is our pension worth? What yeah. is my state pension forecast? Do I want to go to that lifetime holiday of Hawaii or Alaska where it's going to be? Because you should do those things. And also, if, if, if you can afford to do so, how would you to, to, to support the family members as well? So there's an awful lot of conversation to have with that with that type of family, David, because there's so much going on because you're still parenting your, your children to a lesser extent financially. But also I'm finding as well that those sorts of clients are also parenting their parents because in terms of care and how they navigate the care system, and using online, which they're sort of, again, the, the skull and crossbones and poison signs again, is, well, that's not for me. Can you help me? So I think we've never been as busy trying to help the children in their 20s and the parents in their 70s and 80s. So it's a particularly busy time financially for, for that, well, that sort of couple, that sort of family. Absolutely. And, and 100% in that situation myself. So I, I, I do understand there's pressure points you get pinched at, at two ends of it. Um, and I suppose looking at that, looking at those parents of that generation, the the, the sort of later life uh, planning and, and what happens there, uh, ensuring that obviously that, are, that, are, that wills are in place and that that's understood and their circumstances haven't changed. Any other tips just to make sure that, that risks are being managed and, and looked for financially for those that are you know, octogenarians and nonagenarians and maybe you're going to make a, make a century. Who knows? We are living longer, but but still we need to plan. We we, we do need to, to, to plan. And I think that's something that, that we as a business and for some from a major direct financial planning perspective have been looking at for a number of years now. Um, we have Society of Later Life Qualified Advisors. So not only, not only are they good human beings and respectful understanding independently what needs to be done, but they have the additional qualifications that gives makes them experts in that particular area. So we are looking about state benefits. We are looking at attendance allowance and whether an individual is entitled to that and how we help them get it. So linking in with what can be um, Citizens Advice Bureau about guiding people in the right direction about how they access these particular benefits. Again, it's the awareness because we've built up this fear of over decades about finance. Yeah. So we don't ask questions about it and people aren't aware what they're entitled to you know I had, I had this conversation with my father recently who's got early onset alzheimer's and he's entitled tenders allowance so well but i don't need it i said dad we need care for you you need yeah. care yeah. and whilst you've got a, a, a barker's pension that's fantastic but actually you paid tax for all your life and you're still paying tax now this is something you're entitled to it's the most unfriendly 30 odd page document he's got to do so not just as his son, but also as a financial planner, that's what we do. Yeah. We guide people through it. So it's not just a choosing a better fund for a client that's better performing than one that they've got. To be honest, my 14-year-old can do that. That's the easy part. It's actually understanding how you navigate this bureaucratic system 
um, when we're trying to bring a sense of calm and control and, and, and right, in this case, benefit entitlement, because it is a massive, massive sector that, dare I say, yeah. the industry needs to wake up to. Things like forcing, I know the Times have, have been huge over this, and the, uh, the newspaper for a number of years is you know, clients being forced to repay their mortgages by, by, by age 70, because that's the rule. Yeah, but 20 or 30 years ago, people weren't living as long. And actually, when mortgage rates were lower than they are at the moment, say 12 months ago, then it would be poor advice to repay the mortgage. And, yeah. and actually, it, it can be a useful tool to, to dilute inheritance tax. So it's all those sorts of things where I think we're a little bit late as a society to start to be more friendly, flexible, and welcoming of our, the older generation. And it's a very lucrative generation, asset-wise. Uh, and again, from an HMRC, from a tax perspective, how we help people gift yeah. in a more tax-efficient way to help their grandchildren because people do want to, they just don't know how to. And, and the rules are robust enough to help them do it. And, and as much as they may be, in a lot of cases, more fortunate financially than generations that came before, um, I think it's something that comes with age. They worry. And they'll they worry do. about money and they worry about what happens next. And they'll have fears as with, you know, as part of that 81% about, about finances, as much as they might be financially secure and and other members of the family can see that in themselves they will worry about what happens next and it's part i suppose of a quality of life for those in later life to know that actually it's being managed well yes because um for a lot of us we have money worries all the way through in terms of ourselves as we grow up can we get a mortgage can't we how we pay that mortgage how we support our children um and hopefully you get to a point in time where you've got fewer money worries but actually any slight change um, to, 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 to your circumstances, to your environment is a massive upheaval. And it's for us to be able to bring a degree of calm to that. You know, I was speaking to one of my colleagues at, at, in the financial planning team at Mojis Druin about, you know, do we actually in the future have a technology specialist as part of our later life team. So we can actually, because more and more where, where clients are moving in from their home in, into flats, et cetera, they don't know how to sort the Wi-Fi out. They don't know how to get the sky sorted. They don't know that that the parking apps, that how to, you know, all, all technology is driving society, but they seem to have forgotten how they engage with, with later life clients. So I know we're financial planners, but how do we help them do that? Because we're doing some of that when we go around to visit because we know we understand it, but not really our role. So I think there's an, an, an emerging market there about technology support for, for in the later life market. And, and on that point, I think I'm going to be releasing a book, um, which is completely generated by my mother for the hilarity of the ability now she has to, we've, we've shown her that she can actually She's got macular degeneration, so uh, texting in the traditional sense is not right, but she's got WhatsApp, she's got text, obviously, on a smartphone. Um, and to, be, to bless her, she'll have a go at anything, but the Hey Siri uh, texts that you get are really quite something. There's a collection it's, it's, of fabulous gems that we're just putting together in a book, and that'll be coming to her. But it's true, isn't it? You know, we've We've all assumed at, at certain generations that well, this is the way we are now, but we we have left people behind. So if there's uh, there's there's support there. That's fantastic. I think we have, and I think there was a fear 10, 15, 20 years ago about technology, and also 
because people had retired, they could choose to opt out. But the problem with, with technology advancements, actually, there's now a bigger gap between knowledge and in terms of you, know, you could pay by credit card, you could pay by cash. You, know, you can't do that anymore if you don't know how to work an app. And actually, I think, again, Apple likes of brands like that are missing a trick by why not create something that's specific for that generation? Yeah. Let's face it, it'll have the weather on there. It'll have some really basic stuff on there, but that's all they need. Yeah. You know, and, and therefore it proves their quality of life. So quality of life improvement through prudent financial planning is key, but there's other parts that we need to build in as well. That's a real added value. I think that's a tremendous idea. Um, Stuart, this has been a wonderful conversation and insights into what we should be doing with our finances. Uh, we've walked through the, the various generations. We've looked at the cost of living crisis um, and your fabulous life as a as a as a darling ranger. Um, <laughs> Sounds so but, wrong, David. No, no, but 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 what a what a great insight for people who are really thinking about. Well, actually, I really should be dealing with this now because in itself it causes stress. I'm not sure it's one of those things in the back of our minds. I really should. And maybe maybe they they should do something about it. On that point, how would people get hold of you and your team? How would they make contact with you? Uh, good question. Quite simply, in terms of the various mediums, I'd say start with with the website uh, mojasdrip.com, um, or there's my person email, which is uh, Stuart S T U A R T dot Doughty at mojasdrip.com. Um, and obviously, any any additional um, contact details you want to add to that as, as well, David. We, it's it's simple for us. I think um, I, I I know our our, our legal friends um, work on on a similar basis in terms of uh, it is a relationship exercise, and therefore for us as financial planners, that first meeting, bit screen call as we're doing today, or or face to face is always free regardless of the duration because it's a getting to know you exercise and we have to understand where people are and ask questions and probe and that might take a few more meetings uh, until we can truly gauge how we help people. So yeah. the fact that if we can do it in a very passive way, don't worry about cost for that first meeting regardless of, of duration is a, is, a, is, a, is a really important point for people. That's a, that's a great thing to know because I think it's a big barrier for people who assume yeah. As soon as you start talking finances, as soon as you start talking about people with expertise, um, and dare I say, you know, dealing with somebody that's got a connection with the legal legal professional, the financial planning, there's a, there's a fee involved with it. You know, the clock starts ticking, and I know that that's that's a misconception for a number of areas in the legal world, but also for yourself. I think that's that's a really strong message that's uh, that, that to, to convey to people. No, it is, and one one point to add to that as well is, and again, as you'd expect. Uh, being a team um, uh, in, in a law firm and working together is that we work on the same basis. So, you know, we, we, we charge fees, which have to be pre-approved by clients, obviously, um, commensurate with the work that we're doing, not commensurate with the size of the investment. And that's, again, a, a problem as, as our industry has, problem we have never had because we, we, we charge for the work done, no more, no less. Yeah, which has always been my argument about estate agents, but that's a whole new podcast. <laughs> well, I, I, I was I was told by a good accounting connection. He said to me, Stuart, thank goodness for estate agents because they're one rung lower than financial advisors. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much for sharing all your advice. And we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Pleasure. Thank you, David. Your Money and Your Life podcast 
was brought to you courtesy of Mojas Druid, solicitors and financial planners. Call 0800-533-5349 or visit mojasdruid.com.